The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. All right, well, that video is to introduce our Earn a Pony program here at Jacob's Well. Just save your bulletins when you accumulate 10. No. It's funny because it's sadly true, isn't it? Uh, If you're anything like me, I often make church about me, right? What do I get out of it? Do, is the worship pleasing to me? Is the sermon pleasing to me? Uh, usually it is because I'm giving it. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's all about me many times. You know, there's actually a movement within evangelicalism, which is kind of tempered down a little bit, but it's called the seeker-sensitive movement where we make church all about those that are seeking spiritual things. And we ask the question, what do they think of our worship service? Is our worship service pleasing to them? And you know what? That's a good question to ask, but it's not the ultimate question we need to be asking. We can even ask the question, what do Christians think of our service? What do members, regular tenders think of our service? Again, a good question to ask, but there is a question that is head and shoulders above all those other questions. Really a question that is so superior to those other questions that if it is not affirmative, none of those other questions really matter. The question that we need to ask as a church is this, is God pleased with our worship service? Is God pleased with the way that we worship him? This is the question that we are going to be slapped across the face with today as we go through this passage. If you would open up to John Chapter 2, if you're in the Red Bible, it's page 887. In the Children's Bible, it's page 1301. Just to give you a recap and kind of where we're at, um, we are going through the Gospel of John. It's called the I Am series. The reason is because the, the name I Am, the phrase, is actually the name that God gives to himself in the Old Testament. And throughout the Gospel of John, you see Jesus claiming I Am. He says, before Abraham was born, I Am. But more than that, every passage really helps us understand more and more who Jesus is and why he's relevant to our life, why he is important to us, why he is the Lord of the worship. Uh, As we walk through the Gospel of John thus far, we saw the narrator tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh, that he is God, that he is creator, that he is light. John the Baptist, a different John, tells us that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he is the very Son of God. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the Lord of the banquet. Today, we are going to see that Jesus is the Lord of worship. Let's read together John 2, verse 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house into a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple 
and in three days I will rise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your text this morning asking the question, is our worship pleasing to you? Corporately as a church, God, if there is anything in our service that is not pleasing to you, God, we pray that you would change it, that you would reform it, Lord God. Individually, Lord, if we come and our hearts are clouded with sin, would you change us? Would you help us to bring a pure worship to you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When Jacob's well was in the initial stages before we started service, I was working towards ordination. And one of the parts of ordination was working on a theology of worship. I had to do a theology paper. So they gave me this, this paper, the theology of worship. And it was wise for them to give me this for a few reasons. Number one, Jacob's well is a little more contemporary than the rest of our churches in our denomination and in the state. And so they wanted to make sure I was thinking through this thoroughly. But the other reason why it was so important is because worship matters to God. How we worship matters to God. God is serious about our worship. We look and, uh, well, there's a quote from Robert Rayburn. I, I stole some of these out of my paper. If you're ever interested in it, just email me. I can send it on to you. Robert Rayburn says this. He says, worship of God is the most important single activity of the believer. Nowhere in all the scriptures do we read of God seeking anything else from the child of God. It is not servants he seeks, but true worshiper. Worship certainly pertains to all of life. But what we do here on a Sunday morning, as we gather together as the people of God, It is a special and unique opportunity to corporately go before God and worship him. There's something called the regulative principle. Some of you may have heard of it. I'm going to give you a nice, easy definition of it. It goes like this. In regards to worship, whatever is commanded in the scriptures is required. And whatever is not commanded in the scriptures is forbidden. The Westminster Confession of Faith elaborates on it in this way. It says, Worship is to be directed by Scripture alone in order to preserve the liberty of believers' consciences. The acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. And so limited to his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Now, if you're like me, you look at these past, the, these things and you're like, come on, <laughs> you know, lighten up. That's, that's the worst form of religion, right? They're setting all these rules and regulations. And yet what we see is we're never as free as when we're following the commands of God. God is serious about worship. This comes up in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, God has prescribed the way that his people are to worship him. We read this, verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and burnt offering and the peace offering. 
And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. So far, so good, right? God is pleased with their worship. They're worshiping him in the way that he has commanded them to do it. It goes on, and this is the next verse. It goes right into chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censure and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized. Notice that word unauthorized. It's not saying it was forbidden. It was just not authorized, okay? They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. These guys were probably in the moment. They were excited about what the Lord was doing. And they decided, you know what? We're going to worship God in the way that feels best to us. How does God respond? Verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. (laughs) God is serious about our worship. And what we're going to see in today's passage is God is not only interested in who we worship, which is very important, but God is also interested in how we worship. You know, you may have not yet been consumed by fire and died. As a matter of fact, I'm guessing you haven't if you're sitting here. But we should not mistake God's patience for his acceptance. And so we must come to him and say, Lord, where has my worship gone wrong? Where has my heart not been right before you? Getting into the passage, we're going to see Jesus has the same zeal for worship. We know Jesus is this kind of meek guy in many ways, right? He, he passively yet actively goes to the cross. He takes the criticism and the persecution of the Jews. But there is one thing that gets Jesus fired up, and it's how God is worshiped. What we're going to see here, what we're going to look at is what is Jesus' problem with our worship? What is Jesus' solution for our worship? And finally, what is Jesus' authority for our worship? First, what is Jesus' problem with our worship? Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. It says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This would have been expected for him if he was able to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 14, In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now, the key word in verse 14 is that first word, the word in. The fact that people were selling animals and changing money was not a bad thing. Uh, As a matter of fact, they were providing a service for the people. You see, people were coming to the temple from all over the Mediterranean, and they were expected to come and bring an unblemished animal sacrifice. It would have been tedious for them to bring it by ship and by land to get it there. There would be the chance that the unblemished animal when they left would now be blemished when they got there because it broke a leg or got scraped or whatever. And so these people were providing a service for those that were coming to the temple for the Passover. But the problem wasn't what they were doing. The problem was where they were doing it. They were selling in the temple. I have a couple pictures for you up here of the temple so you can get a picture of where they were. Up here, uh, there is this wall right here. 
and I have a few more pictures, but this is a half wall. And outside this wall is the court of the Gentiles. You can go to the next picture, Tim. You kind of see the, the, the major landscape here. So this whole area is the court of the Gentiles. Here's this half wall. Half wall's here as well. Here's the court of the Gentiles. You can go to the next picture. Again, here is that wall that, that the Gentiles would stay outside. This was to be the place of worship for the nations. This is where the people were to come to hear about the Lord God, to worship the Lord God. And yet they had turned this place into a marketplace. Now you could imagine how distracting this would be, right? To, to be trying to worship God and, and hear from the word of God, to pray to God. And all you hear is, Nah, right? I got a lamp. Who, you know, two shackles, two shackles, a salty for two shackles, right? My kids have this new knock, knock joke. It goes like this, knock, knock, interrupting cow, moo, right? That's how, it was interruption, nonstop interruption. The nations could not come and worship the living God because they were being interrupted by the smells, by the sounds by the crowds, and Jesus is furious. Jesus' main problem is that they are distracting others, that they're putting up barriers for the nations to come and worship the true and living God. And so the question for us here, one question that we have is what about us? Do we put up barriers for others to come and worship God? What are some applications of this? There are several. I'll give you a few. One is this. I know many of you work together outside of Jacob's well, which is wonderful. But set this place apart. Set it as a place where we're not consumed with the thought of business, but we are consumed with worshiping God. Here's another application. I'll give one for women, one for men. Women, I think it is no surprise that men are very visual people. When you get up, when you say, I want to love my brother well, so that his attention is not drawn to me, but is drawn to the worship service. Maybe it would even guide how we dress when we come to church. I'm not setting barriers or rules. I'm saying, how would we love one another to not be a distraction in worship? Men, you are called to lead your family in the worship of your family, in the worship of God. What does it look like for you to lead your family? Possibly it means looking at the passage that's coming up this Sunday. Maybe it means making sure that your family gets to bed in time, that they can focus in the morning. Maybe it means just making sure your family gets here. But all of these are ways that we can help those around us worship the true and living God. So we see Jesus' problem with our worship is that it is distracted and that we are distracting others. What is Jesus' solution for our worship? Again, remember Jesus who just turned water into wine, is the joy of the celebration, comes to the temple. And then we read this, verse 15. Making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, could you imagine the chaos of this? Could you imagine the pandemonium, the, the animals stampeding out of the temple the, the, the coin changers running after their coins that are rolling along the, the pavement, the brick or what, the stone. I mean, it would have been absolute chaos. But Jesus turns over the tables. He, 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 he forces out 
the animals. You know, we may look at it and say, Jesus, lighten up a little bit. You know, there are better ways to do this. You know, didn't you follow Matthew 18, right? Like go to them one-on-one first and say, I have a concern, you know, then bring another person and say, hey, maybe we should get. Jesus is fired up in a way that really, I don't think we see in the rest of the New Testament. He gets a whip, starts driving out animals, tells the people to get out. And what he's doing is he is cleansing the temple of God that people can worship God as they were created to do. You know, in my, uh, in, on my house, we have two levels. We have two sets of gutters, and my gutters are good at collecting water, but they're also good at collecting other things like leaves, like, uh, you know, those, those little pebbles from the, the shingles, uh, even rusty nails that come down. They're good, at, they're good at collecting little cars that my kids throw up there. Matter of fact, I just saw this morning, if you drove past my house, there's a football in my front gutter. Um, that's when you have kids, that's what happens. But part of the process as a homeowner is you get up there maybe once a year, maybe once a week, depending on what your leaf foliage looks like. But you get out there and you clean out the gutters so that the water can flow through the gutter as it was created to. We need to clean out our hearts. We need to go to God and say, Lord, search me. Look within me. Is there any barriers in my heart that is keeping me from pure worship of you? Maybe it is an unreconciled relationship in your life. Maybe it is a habitual sin that you just will not give up. I don't know what it would be for you, but to come to God, to examine our hearts and say, Lord, what is it inside me that is keeping me from focusing and worshiping you? You know, one of it could just be hurriedness. I know that's a huge problem for me. If you ask my wife, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings are just absolute chaos, right? Repenting, saying, Lord, forgive me for not being more prepared. Forgive me for not coming here. Forgive me for, you know, being consumed by the Packers game or whatever it be. Lord, help me to come and focus and worship you. Jesus goes on, and he really is addressing their hearts in this. Verse 16, it says, he took those who sold the pigeons. He said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. We see the heart of Jesus, and this is to be the heart of his people, that we would have zeal for the house of God, that we would have zeal to worship the living God. And so we come before him. And we say, Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have not been zealous to worship you. Forgive us for the ways that we have been distracted. And trust me, I am distracted more than any of you as I'm thinking about how the service is going, how the elements are going. When do I go up? When do I come down? And it is an opportunity for us to repent and say, God, cleanse my heart that I can worship you. Ruthlessly route it out. Ruthlessly drive out the money changers in your heart. Cleanse your temple. Repent of your sin so that you can worship God zealously. Finally, we see what is Jesus' authority out of, over worship. Verse 18, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Now, there's chaos in the temple, right? Jesus is causing quite a stir. And so rightfully so, the Jewish leaders come to him and say, what right do you have to do this? You know, what right do you have to, to drive all these animals and all these people out? What right do you have? And Jesus, uh, what they asked for is a miracle. Um, we kind of talked about this last week, but 
the, the word signs also means miracles. And so a miracle is a sign of someone's authority, and it's to lead to, to belief and to faith. And so they ask for a sign, and Jesus gives this very confusing answer. Verse 19, read along with me. So Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and it wasn't even done yet at the time. And will you raise it up in three days? The Jews were confused by this very obscure answer. The disciples were confused by this answer. We would be confused by this answer, except John adds this note, this revelation that the disciples had after Jesus was raised. Verse 21 but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is asked for a sign of his authority, for a miracle that proves that he has authority over the people in the temple. And Jesus says, I will give you a sign. I will give you the most miraculous sign you will ever see. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rise it up. See, Jesus Christ was the temple of God. He was destroyed for us. He was destroyed because of our sin, because of our lack of proper worship, for our distraction, for the barriers that we put in worship, the sin that we bring here on Sunday mornings. Jesus was destroyed for that, but he was raised back up to new life. And so we see Jesus provides the sign that shows that he is the author over sin, over death, over mankind. He is even the author, the, the authority over worship. But it gets even better. As, uh, in, in 70 AD, the Romans actually come into Jerusalem. There's a, there's a Roman uh, Jewish war, and the Romans come into Jerusalem, and they destroy this temple that took decades to build. Now, for us, it's just, it's kind of like, okay, a building was destroyed, no big deal. But for the Jews, this was a major, major, major crisis. We don't understand the importance of the temple. We don't really have this today, even with the temples that are out there now. The temple at that time was the place, the place where the people of God met with the Lord God. The temple was the place where the atonement was made for their sin. The temple was the place where the people of God could be cleansed from the guilt of their sin. The temple was the place for them. There was no other place. And now that temple had been destroyed. It was gone. And so they were in a bad situation. You see, there are people still today that are so excited about the rebuilding of the temple in Israel. But the good news of this passage is that the temple has already been rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt Easter morning, wasn't it? It was built Sunday morning when Christ rose up from the dead. You see, the temple is now Jesus. Everything that happened in the temple now happens in Jesus. Jesus says, now I am the temple. I am the place where heaven and earth meet. I am the temple where the people of God meet the Lord God. Jesus says, I am the temple where there is an atonement made for your sin. I am the temple, and there is no other place for you to meet God. 
And so we see the temple has been destroyed, but Jesus has raised it up. Have you been to the temple? Have you been to Jesus? Have you known the forgiveness of sins, his grace towards those who so often are distracted in worship, his love and mercy, his atonement for your sin? The temple has been raised from the dead. So we looked at what is Jesus' problem with our worship? Our worship is distracted. We put up barriers to our worship and to others' worship. What is Jesus' solution for our worship? To repent, to kick out the barriers in our life. And then what is Jesus' authority over worship? Well, we see Jesus conquered death and therefore is the temple and has all authority over our worship. At the beginning, I made this statement, and I'll wrap it up here, that God is not only interested in who we worship, God is interested in how we worship. And the reason for this is because how we worship affects who we worship. You get that? How we worship affects who we worship. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was in seminary, I had a professor, and he told us this story. He was engaged to be married, and his fiance was doing a lot of the work to prepare for the wedding. And so she said, honey, why don't you take care of the honeymoon? And he was, you know, not sure he really wanted to do that. But after some persistence, he finally said, okay, I will take care of the honeymoon. Well, he, he plans the honeymoon all out. Uh, everything seems good to go. Well, a, a few days before the wedding, the fiance just is kind of grumpy and <laughs> He's wondering, what's wrong, honey? You know, why are you sad? And he pushes her. He asks her some probing questions. And finally, he finds out that she is not happy with the honeymoon that he has planned out. Now, you may wonder, what was that honeymoon? Well, he had planned a multi-day journey around the East Coast to visit the Civil War battlefields. (laughs) He thought it was fantastic. For some reason, I don't know why, she didn't think it was relaxing or romantic to go see where people were killed. I don't get it. You see, my professor's mistake is a mistake that we all made, that we love unintelligently. We love according to our own terms, to our own desires. You know, oftentimes people want to worship God and love God unintelligently. They want to worship God according to their own standards, according to their own desires. But the temple has been destroyed. The temple has been raised up from the dead, Jesus Christ, and it is in him that our worship is acceptable to God. You see, none of our worship will be perfect in and of ourselves, but because we have the righteousness of Christ, because the blood of Christ, because Jesus is our mediator, Our worship that we come, no matter how pitiful, no matter how ugly it is, is pleasing to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We come, Lord, every week. And every week there are barriers in our heart, Lord. And no matter how hard we try to repent, no matter how hard we try to drive them out, Lord, we confess that we are still oftentimes distracted. And we are thankful that by your blood, by your righteousness applied to your church, our worship is pleasing to God. Thank you. 
God, we pray that you would help us, Lord. If there, there are things in our life that are keeping us, God, from really enjoying you in worship, focusing on you in worship, Lord, that you would help us repent of those things, to cast them away, Lord, and to be consumed by you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.